Chapter 12 of The House of Love. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The House of Love by Elizabeth Cheney. The Escape. Doris flew upstairs to try and collect her thoughts. Grandma had wept herself into a headache and had gone to bed, but was not asleep. Doris knelt down beside her. "'Oh, Grandma,' she said, "'Mrs. Wilde says that my father is on the way to take me, and I'm sure it can't be true. Mother never told me much except that he was very good to her and that he died when I was a baby. I know this must be the wrong man, but how can I make other people think so?' Grandma sat right up in bed. "'Doris,' she said, "'Haven't you always been talking to me about living in the house of love "'where nothing bad could touch you? "'Have you moved out where you're going to be gobbled up? "'Now you chirk right up again.' "'Doris was crying softly. "'Of course,' she said. "'I'd rather have a really truly father, "'if he's a nice kind father, than to go to Europe. "'But I feel as if there's something all wrong going on tonight.' "'But it's as true as can be that nothing can harm me, and I want to be brave. "'Yes, I will be brave. "'It's a shame to disturb you so, Grandma. "'Now you lie right down again, and I'll wring that cloth out in fresh cold water and put it on your head.' "'Oh, that does feel good,' said Grandma. "'Now you sit there by the bed and hold my hand and sing soft and gentle, "'The King of Love my Shepherd is.' "'That's a very comfort and peace to me, Doris. "'I hadn't never took notice of it till you begun to sing it.' "'Doris sang the whole hymn, "'and her own fears subsided under the spell of the tender lines. "'Grandma had dropped asleep. "'There was a sudden commotion in the kitchen below. "'Doris heard the heavy voice of Thaddeus, "'the harsh tones of his wife, "'the shrill note of Aurelia and one inharmonious trio.' She also heard a fourth voice outside at the gate, a powerful baritone singing a rollicking Irish ballad as only an Irishman could sing it. She hurried down the stairs, knowing that if she had to be called, it would disturb Grandma. The outside door stood open, and the family were on the threshold. "'Steady, sir, steady,' she heard Kelsey saying, as he seemed to be assisting someone up the path. "'The top of the morning to you, me dears,' cried the visitor, reeling against the doorway. "'Where's me own little girl?' "'Mava mean, me darling, do I see you once more?' he cried, lurching toward Aurelia, who screamed and ran into the sitting-room. "'Good evening, Mr. Avery,' said Mrs. Wilde, in a stern, commanding tone, intended to bring him to his senses." "'Avery, did you say, ma'am? "'Please, your ladyship, me name's Michael O'Reilly, ma'am.' "'What do you mean, sir, coming into a decent man's house in this condition?' said Thaddeus. "'Ah, oh, sir, indeed, it's quite sober I am, sir,' said the new arrival, "'dropping heavily upon the nearest chair. "'Only one little drop did I take while waiting in the cold for that boy of yours.' "'What does this mean, Kelsey Star?' inquired Mrs. Wilde furiously. "'Only this, Mrs. Wilde. I stopped in at the store on my way. 
What business had you to stop at the store anywhere else? I started you out on a special errand. Yes, ma'am, replied Kelsey calmly. But I wanted something at the store, and it would be too late when I got back. I found this... this man sitting there waiting for someone from this house, so I told him I'd fetch him in the buggy. We lost off a wheel. Then why didn't you walk? I wouldn't leave Brewster, ma'am. I left this person by the side of the road. You couldn't have led Brewster and both of you walked, could you? blazed Abigail. I was rather rattled, ma'am, by the wheel coming off. It does upset one, you know. So I went and borrowed Miss Graves' buckboard, and by the time I came back to Mr. O'Reilly... That's me name, Sonny, broke in Michael, slapping his knee. Why, I found that he had tried to pass away the time in emptying a whiskey bottle. And a fine reception it was, ma'am, said the visitor, to meet me with an old nag that ain't fit to draw a hearse, and then to dump me out on the side of the road. I'm raising me price, ma'am. Fifteen dollars ain't much for the distance, and me fare out. And the tin more you promised if I get off tonight ain't enough. You hear me, ma'am? He cried, his mood changing from maudlin joviality to an ugly one. Mrs. Wilde was terrified. Thaddeus, Kelsey, and Doris were all listening. "'I don't know what you mean about money, you drunken fool,' she said. "'Mrs. Grannis wrote me that you were looking for your child, Doris Avery, and that you would come tonight to see her.' "'I don't want the brat,' said the man, rising. "'She's none of mine, but I'm willing to take her to New York tonight, as I agreed, if you pay me another fifteen. I won't do it for ten, and I want something to eat, too. Doris, bring some bread and cheese and cold meat, said Mrs. Wilde. Oh, Mrs. Wilde, whispered Doris, you won't send me away with him, will you? He is not my father. He says so himself. There's some dreadful mistake, Doris, said Mrs. Wilde. I've been deceived, terribly deceived. Of course I wouldn't think of letting you go with such a creature. Is that me long-lost infant? leered Michael, stretching out his arms toward Doris and recalling his role. Come to me arms. Your broken-hearted father has searched every city on the earth for you, darling. Abigail was quaking inwardly. She could make a plausible explanation to Thaddeus, but she was aware that Kelsey knew what made her liable to arrest. He stood firmly and determinedly by the door with his eyes fixed steadily on her. Kelsey, she said, you have Miss Graves' buckboard still there. Take this man to the Ellsworth Junction as soon as he finishes eating. He and Jewel Grannis seem to have hatched a plot to kidnap Doris, and we found it out in time. We have, said Kelsey, still looking piercingly at her. Her bold eyes quailed under his glance, and she turned abruptly to make a cup of strong coffee. "'But not a step will I go without the fifteen dollars,' said Mr. O'Reilly between mouthfuls. "'Well, this is a part I cannot understand, Thaddeus,' said Mrs. Wilde helplessly. "'But isn't it better to humour his delusion and let him go as soon as possible?' "'I ain't got fifteen dollars in the house,' said Thaddeus gruffly. "'Well, I have,' replied his wife, turning to go upstairs. 
but then the noise of hoofs and wheels came up the road. Kelsey's heart leaped at the longed-for and expected sound. Thaddeus arose and went to the door, and his wife followed. The carriage drew up at their gate. "'I believe it's the Gilbert turnout,' said Thaddeus, peering out at the lamps. Mrs. Gilbert's footman came up to the door and handed a note to Mrs. Wilde. "'She sent for Doris to-night instead of to-morrow,' said she, reading it hastily and handing it to Thaddeus. "'How strange!' "'You might as well let her go,' said Thaddeus. "'A few hours won't make much difference with you.' "'It certainly is inconvenient,' said Abigail, hating to succumb to the inevitable, and preparing to raise objections. In her heart she was crying, "'I have failed, but give me twenty-four hours and something can be done.' "'Mrs. Wilde,' said Kelsey, with a world of meaning in his quiet tone, and a keen light in his eyes which she fully comprehended. It will be much better if you send Doris to-night. "'Is anyone out there in the coach?' asked Mrs. Wilde. "'The upper housemaid,' replied the footman. "'No, you don't ride to the ridge with Doris, my good woman,' thought Kelsey, with a sarcastic glimmer about his mouth. "'Go up and get your clothes, Doris,' said Mrs. Wilde. They were already folded in a pile, and even the paper and string ready. The Christmas picture had been replaced that very afternoon in its original wrappings. Grandma was still asleep. Doris bent over and kissed her gently. Then she went downstairs, shook hands with Mr. Wilde and his wife, bade good-bye to Aurelia, and as Kelsey took her bundles, followed him out to the carriage. She stopped an instant at the gate. "'Kelsey,' she said. "'You've been a good friend to me, and I thank you. "'Come up and see me before I go away. "'And please say good-bye to Miss Graves "'if I don't see her at church.' "'See here, little girl,' said Kelsey, "'as he helped her into the carriage. "'It may seem a strange request on my part, "'but don't you go anywhere alone. "'Stay close by Mrs. Gilbert "'until the boat leaves the dock.' "'When he returned to the house, "'he saw Mrs. Wilde put a roll of bills "'into the hand of Michael O'Reilly.' and a few moments later Brewster was travelling at a lively pace in the direction of the junction, where the visitor was deposited an hour before train time. "'See that this man gets off all right,' said Kelsey to the night watchman. "'He's likely to fall asleep,' for Michael had been nodding all the way. To Kelsey, the long ride back was neither dark nor lonely. He had saved Doris. She did not know that night, nor for many weeks, what he had done. She only knew that Mrs. Gilbert said she admired the lad and would help him through college. The Meldons and the Courtneys were happy over the change that had come to the fortunes of Doris, and Miss Gladys Courtney remarked at Mrs. Gilbert's hearing, as she had said before on other occasions, "'That child's face is familiar.' "'You know I have never seen it,' replied Mrs. Gilbert sadly. They were walking along the garden path as they talked, and Silas Webb's wife, who was a sort of specialist in fine laundry work at the ridge, was spreading a fine embroidered counterpane on the grass nearby. Like Silas and Pepper, she was a privileged character. She heard Miss Courtney's remark and came forward. "'Begging your pardon, ladies,' she said respectfully. "'Silas and me have been awful happy over the good fortune that has come to this child. Silas brought her up to the corners the very night she come.' 
and he said he was never so sorry for a human being as when he left her there. When I saw her, I was pestered to pieces worrying where I'd seen her face, and finally I found out. I just heard Miss Courtney wondering as I used to, so I've made bold to speak. You know, I sometimes help the caretaker at the manor. She's a second cousin of Silas's, and one day I was wiping the portrait frames in the long gallery with a soft cloth, and I nearly fell over. It's early yet in the afternoon, and the light's good. I'll advise Miss Courtney to run over there. Shall I go, Aunt Alice? said Miss Courtney to Mrs. Gilbert. Certainly, my dear, and take Doris with you. She has never seen the old house. So they walked down the street and up the elm-shaded drive of the manor, and in response to Miss Courtney's ring were admitted and conducted at the long staircase to the upper hall on which the portrait gallery opened. Down the long line of cavaliers and statesmen and scholars they passed, with the spring sunshine dancing on the likenesses of features long obliterated in vault or sarcophagus beyond the sea. Here and there some noble dame looked haughtily or archly forth from the canvas, splendid in satin and jewels. "'Look, look, Doris!' said Miss Courtney, stopping at the far end of the hall, and pointing to a girlish but elegant figure in white, with large grey eyes looking out from beneath a broad-plumed hat. "'This is the celebrated portrait of Lady Doris Clifford, who was once a guest here, and ran away and married a parson and a Methodist at that. How strange that you should be the image of her and have the same name, too! Your eyes and nose and mouth and chin are the same. Her cheeks are fuller and the eyebrows heavier, but yours will be the same in time. I'm sure that the name Clifford was in my mother's Bible, said Doris, on the leaf that is missing. I could not make out much of it, but it looked like that. "'What a pity about that leaf,' said Miss Courtney. "'You remember you were expecting to show it to me when you discovered your loss. "'It may have been loose and have fallen out. "'Now let us go and tell Mrs. Gilbert about the portrait.' "'As they passed out through the lower hall, "'Miss Courtney paused at the portrait of Mrs. Alston, who was Anne Waverley. "'At her knee stood her little son, a sturdy, handsome fellow.' "'Dr. Alston mourns for her still,' said Miss Courtney, "'and will not stay here. "'It seems a crime to keep this grand, beautiful old place closed. "'We are hoping that Robert will feel the call of the blood and make it his home. "'He is nearly twenty-one now and the only heir.' "'Only a few days more, and Doris stood on the deck of an ocean liner "'and watched the coastline of her native land vanish from sight. "'Many changes were to come before she would sail into New York Harbor.' Mrs. Gilbert had become very dear to her, but nevertheless the child felt a deep sense of loneliness and longing for someone of her very own. Without family, without home, dependent on the bounty of a stranger, her heart cried out for the mother-love of the past. But it isn't past, it's now, she reasoned in her quaint way. For love never changes nor dies. It's always now in the house of love. God had this trip to Europe put away from me when I was riding up that long hill with Silas, and the really belonging to somebody must be somewhere in the house. My, the house of love is lots and lots bigger than I thought, she mused as she turned and viewed the great tossing expanse that stretched away to the horizon. Remsen had made Mrs. Gilbert quite comfortable in the steamer chair, and came to find Doris. 
"'Your chair is there,' she said, pointing next to the madam's. "'She wants to speak with you.' "'Doris,' said Mrs. Gilbert, laying her hand on the child's, "'you'll recall that when Kelsey Starr came to say good-bye to you "'we had a conversation in the library before we sent for you.' "'Yes, Mrs. Gilbert.' "'Well, Kelsey brought me a wonderful piece of news, dear. "'It seems the day after you left the wilds "'he was transplanting lettuce from the cold frames into the garden. "'He was working close to the stone wall, "'and he noticed a half-sheet of letter-paper "'lodged in a crevice in the wall "'in such a way that it had been protected from the weather, "'and there was writing on it. He drew it from its hiding-place, and was able to read easily in Mrs. Wilde's own bold hand what appeared to be a copy from the fly-leaf of an old Bible. I have it here now in my handbag. When Gladys Courtney had seen your almost perfect resemblance to the portrait of Lady Doris Clifford, she was lamenting that the only other clue to your identity was a page that had been lost from your Bible. It is evident to me now that Mrs. Wilde removed that page, and probably destroyed it, else why should she have made this copy? How this escaped her keeping will always remain a mystery, but we need not worry our heads about that part. It is enough that the necessary information has come to light. I am well grounded in the Waverley history, and possess copies of all the old records." Therefore I know that the Lady Doris, who visited at the manor more than a century ago, was not only the intimate friend of the Lady Waverley of that day, but was the first cousin to Mr. Grammerton, her husband, from whose brother Philip I am directly descended. I was drawn to you, Doris, because of your lovely voice, your sweet spirit, and pleasant manners. I next found that you have a good mind— but now that I know you are my little kinswoman, you are nearer and dearer. I want you to call me Aunt Alice. Why don't you speak, girlie? Doris was struggling with a flood of emotion. She seemed to be drowning in pure joy. At last she found her voice. Oh, Mrs. Gilbert, that lady raised a warning finger. Aunt Alice, I mean, do I really belong, really? "'Yes, Doris, you belong to the Ridge, to the Waverleys, and to me.'" End of chapter 12 Read by Jennifer Wilson